Uh, many of you uh, might have seen or many of you know uh, the painting known as The Scream uh, by the well-known painter Edvard Munch. And it, is it up there? Okay, good. So The Scream is the one over to the right. And I chose this because it gives a picture of exactly what we are going to be speaking about today in our passage, of what surrounds us as we celebrate the birth of Christ. And Monk describes this painting from an excerpt in his diary. He says this, I was walking along the road with two friends. The sun went down. And suddenly, the sky turned to blood red. I felt a breath of melancholy and an exhausting pain underneath my heart. I paused, leaning back against the fence, and I was tired to death. Above the, the blue-black fjord in the city, there was blood in tongues of fire. My friends carried on, and I stood there, trembling with anxiety. And I felt a great infinite scream that went out through nature. Contrary to popular belief, the scream does not come from the figure. The scream comes from nature. Monk is represented as the figure, and what Monk is trying to do is cover his ears to the screen. The figure is covering his ears, and it is different from the one that he painted earlier. So there's another painting, and it's called The Despair. Same, same picture. However, the normal figure is replaced with a grotesque one, a semblance of what the man used to be. To understand Edward Monk and his artwork a little better, we must understand and look at his childhood. So briefly, Monk was confronted with death at a very early age. His mother died of tuberculosis when he was only five years old. He lost one of his sisters to the same disease when he was only 13. Shortly afterwards, another one of his sisters suffered from severe depression and was committed for life, while the brother died suddenly of pneumonia only months after his marriage. Traumatized by these successive tragedies, Monk was often affected by depression, which is regularly visible in his work. His artworks often deals, deal with themes of anguish, melancholy, fear, death, and pain. In his own words, he wanted to express the most subtle states of mind through painting. They actually say that he lived next to his sister, and when he was walking here, he had just visited her in the institution. And his friends are carrying on, and they actually say that the sky turned this blood red because of a volcano that erupted in Indonesia and let out this scream throughout nature, whatever the context was. It is a scream, and 
that we see in Monk is trying to cover his ears to it, and we see in his paintings it is a man or a figure that is despondent. There is hopelessness. There is despair. There is anxiety. That painting tells us there is a huge problem in our world, and we wish to cover our ears to it, but we can't, can we? Monk's painting is a great description of sin's curse. It's a great description of sin's curse. This is what it looks like. Everything that he experienced in his life speaks about sin's curse and the effects on his experience in this world and his relationships as well. And that's exactly what we are going to be looking at today. The curse or the consequences that we are going to look at today are the context that we find ourselves in as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at four subjects in our painting today. And in each of those, I want you to see something. Sin's curse affects our experience and sin's curse affects our relationships. Two things that you're going to see be played out in this. And the first uh, relationship or experience with a certain individual is how it affects our relationship with God. So we're going to be looking at uh, verses 8 through 13. So starting at verse 8, I'll start there. So this is everything that happens after the fall, everything that happens, the consequences of sin after the fall. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave to me from the tree and I ate. The Lord God then said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It is said that Dr. Mortimer Alder suddenly got upset in a discussion group over tea. He was so mad that he stood up, he opened the door, walked through it, and slammed the door behind him. One person said, trying to relieve the tension, well, he's gone. To the hostess, she replied, no, he's not. That's the closet. I think, I think one of the first things, the first, I should say the first effect of sin is stupidity. But for some reason, I am not quite sure what has happened to the mental faculties of Adam and Eve at this point. So here they are, they, they have walked, they, God has created them and the garden that they are in, and they are trying to do what? play a little game of hide and seek. I don't think the Lord God is going to, I'm going to hide and stoop behind this tree, and I don't think God's going to be able to find me. So this is the absolute insanity of sin. And and the fact, so we go back a verse, right? And it says they've already made what? These these fig coverings. What is God going to, oh, I see that you, you went shopping. You brought yourself some new clothes. Wow, they look so good. I, I can't, not, nothing seems out of place here. He's just walking along. A nice outfit, Adam. Who, who showed you how to do that? But we, we have to see what has happened here. This is a broken relationship. 
with God Almighty. And that is the first and most important consequence of sin. They used to walk and talk in the garden. We can uh, presume that from what is happening in this context. God is visiting with them. They used to have fellowship together. They used to enjoy each other. They used to, they used to hang out together. They used to share with one another. And now Adam is actually hiding from him. Adam and Eve are both hiding from him. And what are they trying to cover up? Shame, guilt, and sin. Not only, not only do we see in this passage, and this, this passage is absolutely foundational to everything in this world. Not only do we see the consequences of the curse of sin, we see how we try to what? Fix it. We see how we try to fix it. One of the first ways we try to fix it is we, we do a self-salvation. We do our own little fig leaves, and we look ridiculous. I'm just going to throw it out there right now. We look silly. And what else do we try to do? Ignore God. We try to hide from Him. Instead of coming forth and confessing their sin, what do they do? They hide. They hide in shame. As if God's not going to be able to find them. Now, God, when He says, He's just kind of going along with it. Where, where are you, Adam? Right? God knows where you are at all times. I'm just going to throw that out there. And He knows, guess what? He knows what you've just done. And those fig leaves that we tend to fix things with, it's not going to cover up anything at all. But what else happens here? This is it's absolutely crazy to see what, what, take, what, what plays here. What, what is with Adam and Eve now, right? So Adam and Eve were supposed to be together. They're supposed to be in this harmonious relationship, right? And Adam is supposed to be the protector. He's supposed to be the leader. What does he do? Here's Eve. Sauces are right under the bus. Are you... Don't point your finger at me. God, he, there's Eve. Take her, right? And he just throws her right out there. He's like, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in this. But who does he blame? Is it Eve? No, he blames God, doesn't he? What does he say? Hey, Lord, guess what? Ah, all your fault. The woman you gave, the woman that you... You gave to me? Well, guess what? She's the one who messed me up. Uh, wow. And isn't that what we do? We, we have completely flipped the tables. And God is now on the judgment seat. And we're blaming God for our own sin. How's our painting looking so far? Not, so, not too many colors. It's unbelievable at what happens. Sin results in a broken relationship with God, and sin re results in shame and guilt, and it causes discord with others. Let's look at the second subject. The second subject is Satan. Uh, the result of that, so again, experience, the serpent's experience is one of humiliation and eating of dust, and the certain serpent's relationship with humanity uh, is one of war. There is one of war. So, verses 14 through 15. So, Eve, for the moment, gets God's eyes off of her, and he turns to the serpent, and he says this, "'Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat in all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed 
and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So, one of the first things I just want to point out, because we, we might miss this. Um, how, how many people have pet snakes right now? Does anyone have pet snakes going on? Okay, good. <laughs> no, no one, so, one of the things we have to see, he's definitely addressing the serpent, but there's, there's more to that uh, than, than just a snake and man's hatred or woman's hatred with snakes and how snakes bite us and stuff like that. But, but also, before he says that, he, he says, uh, you're cursed more than all the cattle. So we can maybe presume that there is this curse, not just with the serpent, but with other creatures as well. I, I love watching birds. How many people have bird feeders at home? Like watching the birds, they're kind of relaxing. And I, they, they just you know, relax me, calm me down. I like watching them eat and uh, seeing them. And I, I wish that I could go outside and just pull my finger up and have them land on it and feed the little birds and stuff like that. But something has happened with our relationship with nature, hasn't it? And, and later on, when, when Noah comes out of the ark, the Lord is going to say something to him. He's, he's, he says, I, I put the fear of you and all the animals, right? So now, now what has happened, not only are, is that relationship uh, with each other affected, our relationship with God is affected, but our relationship with creatures are affected. Uh, we don't have pet lions. Well, some people don't. Some people might try or pet tigers as much as we would like those pets. And that's really sad, isn't it? Because uh, just before this, what was Adam doing? All the animals were brought before him. Were they afraid of him? No, they weren't. And what was he doing? He was naming them. That's a relationship. And, and now, if you go to try to bring an animal to you and try to name it, you're going to have some issues. So don't, I'm not recommending that you do that. But, but that's, that's one of the aspects of, of the fall that we see is this, this broken relationship with nature. Uh, and, and he talks to the serpent. Now, definitely snakes crawl in their bellies and, and everything like that, but this is more about humiliation, and it's more just about a serpent, isn't it? Because who's the serpent? It's Satan. Two boys were walking home from Sunday school after hearing a strong sermon about the devil. One said to the other, well, do you, what do you think about all this Satan stuff? The other boy replied, well... You know how Santa Claus turned out. It's probably just your dad. And so somehow we had to tie in Satan and Santa Claus. You just swap a little letter behind there. But what, what's, what's the danger? The danger, and it's exactly what Satan wants us to believe, is that he does not exist. And, and what God says here is he says, there is going to be this hostility between you and the seed of the woman. Now, there's a general hostility with humanity that Satan is out to get humanity. Satan hates humanity because humanity is created in the image of God. And Satan wants to destroy that image, and Satan wants all the worship for himself. But what happens is he deceives, and he wants you to think that Genesis, that what I'm reading today is nothing but a myth. And everything's just honky-dory, and there's just 
all these different problems that we have to fix. There's a lack of education or it's a socioeconomic problem that we have to fix. That there's no real such thing as evil in this world. And there's no being that is the embodiment of that evil. That's not true, folks. That's what the world wants you to believe. Though. That's what Satan wants you to believe. One of his greatest tricks is to make you think he's just like Santa. And he's kind of like Santa. He promises gifts, doesn't he? Isn't that what he promised Eve? He promised her gifts. And everything that we see happen in the garden after the fall is a reversal. Because God created man, and he wanted man to lovingly and faithfully lead the woman. And he put man and woman over what? Creation. And God is overall. What happens at the fall is you have the serpent influencing humanity. And then you have Eve wanting to do what? Be God. And you have Adam just absolutely doing nothing whatsoever. He just falls. He just eats the apple. And what we see in, in, in our everyday experience is this reversal. It's anarchy. We've put God on the bottom. We've elevated the status of creatures and, and humans are in between just all messed up. There's a war. It's a war between mankind and Satan. And there's a war specifically between Satan and God's people. He wants to destroy us. And where does Satan like to hit? He likes to hit the family, doesn't he? God's first institution, institution of the family, hits right and he divides the two of them right down the middle. And I'll tell you what, that's what he still does today. He's a deceiver, he's a liar, and he's against you and me. He's the prince and the power of this world. And believe me, the sky is very, very red. And humanity still wants to be like God. And we're falling right into Satan's hands. However, there's a little bit of hope at this end of this verse, isn't there? Satan's fate is predicted. But we're not going to get there just yet. I'm going to keep you hanging. I know there's only two more. Bear with me. You're, you're hurting. I know. I can feel it. Let's go. Let's move on to Eve. So let's see what God says to Eve. So he, he kind of goes, works his way backwards, right? Satan, Eve, and then Adam. And Eve, in her experience, is one of pain. And in her relationship, is one of conflict. So he says to Eve, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Has anyone heard of ectolife? Probably haven't. It just came out. I don't know how recent the commercial is, but if you get a chance, watch the video. It's very creepy. It's just, it's, it's a very interesting theory at this point. It's not reality, but they want it to be reality. What it is, is a theoretical artificial womb facility. So it is where, it's like a place for babies to be born. And if you're thinking of 
Star Trek, sci-fi, anything like that, that is exactly what it looks like. It's, it's, it's really, really different. Um, and so you can choose your own baby. You can make your own baby. You can choose the eye color. You can choose the hair color. And you can make them disease-free. But wait, there's more. Uh, Al Ghali's argument goes something like this. This is the gentleman who's creating this. He said, pregnancy is not fun. I can't speak to that but I've heard it's pretty bad. I've seen it. It's a, he says it's exhausting, it's painful, it's nauseating, it's intrusive, it's inconvenient, and it's sometimes flat-out dangerous. And there are all kinds of ways that it can be suboptimal for your child. If you're pregnant and you smoke or you party, now we're getting to see maybe why the uh, artificial womb is good, or you stress too much, or you catch certain diseases, or maybe you just don't play enough Mozart for your child, you might not be giving your child the best start that you can. He says, you might not have the same intensely human birthing sweet experience as the billions of parents before you, but on the other hand, you'll arrive on the first day of your tough job of parenthood feeling physically fresh and well-rested. Instead of having been gradually weighed down, latched onto by a parasitic organism that tends to leave rather a path of destruction upon its exit, even in the best-case scenario. Given the option, he says, I'm sure moms would choose to push a button and watch a little pod open up. Pain-free pregnancy. What, what are we trying to do? We're trying to deal with all the consequences of sin, aren't we? Disease, you know, whatever it may be, the pain. And I want you to see that this hits Eve right in her home. Now, it doesn't mean if you cannot have children, that does not make you less of a woman. But one of the woman's blessings in this life is to bear children and is one of their greatest contributions. I'm, I am speaking here because I was birthed by a woman, and I'm thankful for that. And, and, and it hits her in, in her blessing and in, in an area that should be the greatest joy is now what? Riddled with pain. And it's a reminder of what happens here. Now, guys, I'm just going to share with you. This is not the time when your wife is giving birth. Not, not a good time to remind her of the curse uh, and be like, well, it's Eve's fault anyway. Right? There might be some other cursing going on if that happens at that moment. But, but we see, and, and it's interesting because right, right where Eve can have all of this joy, she's now reminded She's reminded of this, and in her experience, this child is brought forth in a lot of pain. And I'm not saying that you can't uh, take the cocktail, right? That's not, those things are a blessing, and I, I'm not, have experienced that pain, nor do I ever want to experience that pain. I've been told about that pain, and that pain has always kind of hung over guys' heads, isn't it? You, have you ever given birth? No. Okay, then stop talking. You know nothing of pain. <laughs> and it's true. Hey, no, I don't want to do that. That's great. Okay. You, you can have the pain corner, right? But it doesn't mean you can't kind of alleviate that, that. But it's a reminder. It's a reminder of this. 
Every time a child is born in this world, a woman is reminded of this. But also, I think it's a reminder of the hope, too. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, now what happens also, it's not just so that's the experience for Eve, but what else? In her relationship. With who? Adam. So, the woman's relationship with the husband. Now, this is not a sexual desire. When it says, your desire will be for him, this means you're going to want to control him. And every, all the women are like, yep, that's pretty accurate. That's right about there. And it's funny how this plays out in marriage. Uh, I, I see this played out in marriage. And if we can't admit to this that this plays out, and the man's response is one of domination, right? So a woman wants to control, man dominates. I see this played out in marriage. One time it was really, really funny. I don't know what was happening. I, I was stirring tea or coffee. Was it coffee or tea? Sarah doesn't remember. She, she'll tell you a story, though. I was doing something with my tea or coffee or stirring it. Sarah is looking at me and holding a fake cup in her hand, an air cup, and she starts going like this, wanting to stir it. And I'm thinking, is she trying to subliminally control my hand at this point by stirring? And it's like she's looking, I can't take it anymore. And my mom used to say the same thing. You know, if you want something done right, do it yourself, right? And that's how... We want to control. I thought it was cute when Sarah first, first had, a, uh, had a toolbox when we got married. I was like, oh, that's cute, a cute little toolbox. Little did I know it was an omen of things to come. Because then when we'd start working on projects together, guess what? Doing this the whole time. She wants to do it. And I just gave up because she was better at it than I was. I just submitted and said, I just can't do it. But what is happening is there's this conflict. And I'll tell you what. This is what is tearing families apart. We both want to control each other. We both want things our way. I always tell married couples or people who are getting married that you got to understand how sin, like when you're living alone, you're the holiest person alive. You're like, man, I'm so awesome. I have no problems whatsoever. Get married, right? And then you're going to start realizing you're a jerk. You're a selfish, controlling, manipulative jerk. It's just the way it is because, yeah, you can, hey, single life is great. You're so awesome and things are great. And then you get married and you realize what a punk you are. And this starts, this starts getting played out every day. And what happens? Thousands of divorces, broken marriages, hurt relationships. All right, so how are we doing? You guys tracking with me? Merry Christmas, right? It's pretty happy. Let's move on. Last one, all right? You're, 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 you're holding on well. Thank you. So the last one, what does, what does Adam get? Now, these, these kind of go back and forth. Definitely, this is all of humanity, not just specific to, to, to Eve, except for the childbirth, of course. Um, and this is not just specific to Adam. Uh, this goes to Eve as well. But he gets... In his experience with the, with the ground where, where, he, where Adam is the provider, he gets a bunch of pain and struggle, and then he gets to die. So let's look at, starting at verse 17, then he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, I got to stop there for a second. Sometimes, gentlemen, that's what you need to be doing. I just want to throw that out there. This is in the context of listening to Eve in rebellion against God, right? So that's when you don't want to listen to the voice of your wife. But sometimes we need to listen to the voice of our wife. 
So he says, because you listen to the voice of your wife, you've eaten from the tree which I've commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat your bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Coleman Mockler is considered today as the model of an effective CEO. He's a Harvard, Harvard Business School graduate with an MBA. He had gone to work for the Gillette Company and steadily worked his way up the ladder until he became the CEO. Although the Gillette Company uh, was 75 years old, Coleman took the company to new heights of success. Under his management, they came to dominate the market. After 16 years as CEO, Coleman was at the top of the world. Forbes magazine had just put him on the cover of their next issue celebrating his leadership and his success. The magazine, however, would not hit the newsstands for another week. But on the morning of January 25th, 1991, they had sent him an advanced copy for him to review. The rest of the executives literally applauded him as he carried the magazine back to his office. In so many ways, it was such a fantastically good day for Coleman. Decades of hard work had brought him to this point. He had beaten back three hostile takeover bids, and he revolutionized the company. He had increased the value of the stock 50-fold. He was literally celebrated on the cover of the business world. And with millions in the bank, he had just announced that he would be retiring within a few months. With the staff applauding, Coleman walked down the hall, stepped into his office, shut the door, and crumpled to the floor. Within moments, he was dead of a massive heart attack, still clutching the Forbes magazine that featured him on the cover. That is wrong on so many levels, isn't it? Do you hear the scream? Years and years of hard work by the sweat of our brows toil, labor, and pain. And just when that man wants to sit back and enjoy the fruits of his labor, he dies. We want to cover our ears to it, but we can't. Adam is hitting his home Work is a blessing, but now it is riddled with the curse. This happens Monday mornings, doesn't it? Even as a pastor, I love my job. I love the people. But Monday mornings roll around, I just want to stay in bed. I don't want to get up. I don't want to work. I say that to Sarah often. I say, I feel guilty 
because I don't want to work. Because it, why? It's hard. Work is hard. No matter what we find ourselves doing, Monday morning uh, testifies to that. You know, by the sweat of your face, yes, you're going to eat. Yes, you're going to enjoy the, the fruit, but guess what? It's going to be painful. It's going to be struggle. And then afterwards, you're going back to dust. And who eats the dust? The serpent. One big cycle. Merry Christmas. I'll tell you what, though. There's a lot of people who are living in this world without without verse 15. Without the second half of verse 15, I'll tell you what. Without the second half of that verse, people are painting, monks painting all over the place. Without the second half of that verse, there is no hope. There is no Merry Christmas. There's nothing but anxiety, suffering, pain, and death. But go back to that verse. Because that is the added stroke. That is the bright spot in this very very dark picture. This is a description of reality. But what happens in verse 15 is a description of what Jesus Christ does and the reason that we are here today. The seed, ultimately, is Jesus Christ. And the seed born of the woman crushes the serpent and all the evil that he has wrought. In Galatians, we are told more specifically in reference to the seed of Abraham that it is a single seed, and this seed is Jesus Christ. And also in Galatians, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Folks, the reason that we are here, the reason that we have the hope that we have is because Jesus Christ was born a man. Because God became a man and that man died on a tree to save us from the curse of sin. Christ's birth is the hope for sin's curse. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's not just affecting a cold day in December, but it, it affects our whole experience and our relationships in this world. Because of the one born of the woman, God who became man, that one can restore our broken relationship with God. Why? Because he took upon him our sin and our shame. Fig leaves aren't going to help us. This is who helps us. This is who restores our relationship. Because of the one who was born in pain, that one who experienced pain for us is going to rid us of pain one day, isn't he? Because Adam sinned because of a tree, and Adam who bears forth fruit from this ground by the sweat of his brow amid the thorns, 
This one who was born died on a tree and wore the crown of thorns upon his brow. And he died. And he went down to the grave. But he rose again. So that though we may return to dust, guess what? We're not going to stay there. How does our picture look now? But if we don't live with the hope of verse 15, then we live in monk's painting. But there's a louder cry that went out, two of them. One was the cry from a baby, God who became man. And that same man had a cry from the cross. And that cry was, it is finished. Christ's birth is the hope for sin's curse. And it affects not just today, but every day of our lives and all eternity. And I pray, I pray to God that you receive that gift because there is no other hope for this world. Merry Christmas.